All right, Adventure Race fans, dot watchers, here we are. Brian Gatons here from the Dark Zone Adventure Racing Podcast. Flash episode number two coming to you about the Adventure Racing World Series Championship being held in South Africa. I want to thank Stephanie Ross, Brent Friedland, and Jason Magnus for joining us. Jeff O'Connor in the background, Adventure Racing Insider for doing our audio and our video. This is the audio version of our Facebook Live. Um, if you've been following the race, you could easily follow along here. A lot of good discussion. But there is a lot of discussion about the video component. So jump over to Facebook Live to watch that recording. But all the good stuff is here. Uh, this was recorded just as we are starting to wind down the race. Uh, Swedish Armed Forces was out in the lead, having a tough time finding a checkpoint. But a lot of great discussion here. We are glad that you are here. Thanks for being listeners. Check us out at www.ardarkzone.com for our full listing. So glad we could do this for the Venture Racing community. Enjoy this episode and be safe. Welcome, Internet, Facebook fans, dot watching fans, everybody out there around the world. This is Brian Gatons of the Dark Zone Adventure Racing Podcast coming to you with a second, a second flash episode from the Adventure Racing World Series. With us, joining us right now, we have on our panel Stephanie Ross, Brent Friedland, and Jason Magnus. In the background, running all of our audio and visual and bringing up all of our diagrams and maps is Jeff O'Connor of Adventure Racing Insider. Hello. It is a it is a hello, Jeff. It is a rip roaring race out there in South Africa right now. For those of you watching closely, Swedish Armed Forces is closing in on the wind, but there's a lot of drama going on out there, a lot happening out there on the course. We're going to talk a bit about it. As we do, we're going to give some attention to our front of the race leaders and then our mid packers and our backpackers. And we have three experienced adventure racers on the call tonight. Thank you all for being here. Jason, I'm going to pop it over to you first this time because Brent let us off last time. Jason, where are we sitting right now at the race in terms of the race leaders and what's going on at the front? Yeah, it's it took a while, but uh, Swedish Armed Forces has, has opened up a, a pretty sizable lead. Nothing like we've seen in the past with Avaya, but they have a commanding lead. They're the only ones on the last leg. We just got word that they're really struggling to find, uh, I think, CP71. I guess there's a windstorm. It's, you know, there's blowing sand everywhere, and they're in the sand dunes. Um, they don't know it, but they have a seven-hour lead um, because they were able to push through the the penultimate stage, the mountain bike, through the night and keep a good pace, and the teams behind them kind of fell apart. Like basically everybody's falling apart. The Swedes are just obviously holding it together better. And, you know, if they don't panic, it's their, it's, it's clearly their race to lose now. Um, so I don't expect they could sleep for six hours, wait till daylight and still win this race. So that's what I expect to happen. But man, behind them, uh, it's, it's anybody's game. I mean, every, every time I, I get, get close to, figuring out who I think the top five are going to be, something happens. Um, you know, now the, the most recent announcement that the French team currently sitting in second place, they missed a checkpoint early on the bike. Um, and they thought they found it. They took a picture. They thought the CP wasn't there. And every other team found it. It was a windmill. And they didn't take a picture of a windmill. That's a tough blow. I don't know. If they, I don't know if anybody has confirmed the ranking now, but it does open up a lot for the teams chasing them behind them. So, yeah, for those of you who are watching home right now, if you go to Adventure Racing World Series uh, webpage, they're doing great updates every 15, 20 minutes. They're updating it. And right now they're showing uh, Swedish Armed Forces stumbling around on an open sand dune. So, enthralling race that we're capturing from across the world. Agreed. Shocking turn of events for, for our French team, the 400. Um, the fact that so early in the race, they miss such a huge checkpoint, and, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more discussion about that. And then right behind them, we have uh, Estonia, who is still hanging out there, and they look fighting to get on the podium. Viterate, who's all the way in the back, and then they slept in a farmhouse, taking a penalty, and they're pounding ahead there. Your, your team, Ben Race, is still out there slugging away at it. Brazil Multisport, so many different teams. Brent, what's your take right now? I, I, I My head is exploding. You know, seriously, it's been... The last 24, 36 hours, I mean, to some degree, I think all of us that have been watching this sport for a long time saw some of this coming, right? Like, we could see Viterade, like, just recharging for 10 hours. And, you know, Brazil multi-sport, too, right? Like, Brazil has just stormed back and, you know, goes from being, you know, 10th-ish 
to being in the mix for the podium, like depending on what happens with 400. And they'll, they'll probably finish fourth or fifth would be my thank, my thinking, but you never know at this point. Um, the, the dunes look crazy uh, before we even heard that there's windstorms down on the beaches, like creating probably blind, like literally like whiteout type conditions in the dark. You know, Stefan had commented that some of those checkpoints are tricky. So, you know, I'll just go back to that dark zone and the number of people, rightfully so, who were disappointed by the dark zone, felt like six teams got away and, you know, the competition, you know, uh, you know, wasn't as interesting because there weren't as many teams involved. And you look at pretty much all of the teams that have Swedish Armed Forces and unfortunately 400, they really seem to be keeping things together. But the other four have all really struggled in the last 24 hours, opening the door for all these teams to come back into it. It's been really, really exciting. I was on a, a, a call earlier today with a, another adventure racer chatting about the sleep strategy and how almost this massive sleep, and are we kind of rejiggering how we consider sleep to work in terms of races? The fact that there was such a big sleep there and allowed them to charge forward. Jason, you were going to say something. Yeah, but, but what I find really interesting is because I guarantee that that wasn't part of the strategy. Had Viterade or Brazil been able to push extra hard and make that dark yes. zone, they would have. And so I think what's really interesting is this is the longest adventure race of the year on the circuit. This is the longest adventure racing world championships we've had in a long time. And so I think the normal strategy in any other year in the past five years, teams that would have made the dark zone almost always would have would have stayed ahead, right? That big of a gap. But because this race has dragged on and been so brutal on the feet, on the conditions, hypothermia and heat stroke back and forth. It's really been, you know, these teams that thought they got away with it and had this gap have just fallen apart. And if the day would have, you know, if the, if the race would have ended 36 hours ago, even 24 hours ago, in a foregone conclusion, what the top six were, right? But because this is extended essentially 36 or 48 hours beyond what most of these teams have been racing for the last couple of years, you know, it's a huge, I think we just got to give props to Swedish Armed Forces. Like they have, you know, raced a tremendous race and been able to keep up even, even a moderate pace where every other team has stumbled to some degree, sometimes catastrophically. Great. Steph Ross, new to the panel. You're a big, bright, smart light about adventure racing. You've been watching it closely. What's your take on all this? Yeah, well, I think Jason may have just answered. One of the questions I was going to have for him was whether or not this race was going to cause some of these top teams to rethink their sleep strategy. But I think what Jason's going to tell me is only if the race is going to last for days and days and days, <laughs> not a, not a typical, you know, three, three day expedition race. I wrote down some of the, uh, a couple of the times for the legs, I compared Vita Raid's time coming off that paddle after the dark zone and that big recharge they got to Swedish Armed Forces time. They were the same for the, the little trek right after the kayak to get over to their bikes. For that next big bike leg after that kayak, um, or after, yeah, after the paddle, Vita Raid's time from transition area six to transition area seven on that bike was 13 hours and 50 minutes. Swedish Swedish Armed Forces was 18 hours and 49 minutes. Now, clearly, that includes a sleep time, right? Swedish Armed Forces yeah. obviously slept during that time some. But, I mean, that's a five-hour difference between what mm -hmm. Viterraid biked that and what Swedish Armed Forces biked it. And then the next trek, that huge trek from T7 to T8, Viterraid did in 15 hours and 17 minutes. Safet did in 16 hours and 33 minutes. So there's an you know hour and 16 minutes that Viterade did that trek faster than the team that apparently is going to win it. So yeah, I think the the extra sleep clearly is um, has allowed them to just come roaring back speed wise. It's been amazing to watch. I'm curious too in regards to you know we're, we're crediting the sleep right now is playing a major role and, and I think we will agree that that's there. I'm also curious about what the other teams too. Some other teams did sleep, other teams didn't sleep. Are there other factors? Nutrition, feet, you know, all of that. I mean, some of the pictures coming out of, we all see gnarly feet during adventure races, right? We've, we've seen them, we've even had them ourselves. And clearly there's a, a, a tough, big, strong um, course out there. Uh, we saw one team before was talking about, it was the, Safet was talking about the, the, the mountain biking and how they're getting rattled off the bike. They had to stop and fix their map cases. And I think it's a situation where the hard pack, it's mud, and then it freezes overnight. It gets it turns into rocky, and then it goes back to being mud. So we're seeing a lot of that. 
Brent, as, as you're looking at the track and you're seeing here, as we as we talk about the um, our, our our top ten here and how it's all rejiggered, it's upside, it's down here. Who's going to sneak in there? Are we looking at a fear of youth coming on strong? We've mentioned Viterate, Brazil Multisport. I mean, um, excuse my excuse my French. Expeditor Sudrade, right? Team number seventy five is dancing around there. How do you see that final ten kind of shaking out? And then what I want to do, I want to push towards the, the middle of the pack and the back of the pack. But how do you see it breaking out? Yeah, I mean, so if I'm just you know. I haven't been looking too much around the 10 spot lately. I've been looking kind of front and back, but, uh, you know, obviously barring some kind of unbelievable catastrophe, we've got Swedish armed forces finishing first. Um, I'm going to assume it's over for 400, but you know, I still am always one to say, let things play out. Um, I don't know if we've alluded to this since we've gone live, but you know, there is a, for those people that don't know how ARWS works, um, there is a period of time after the race where teams can protest and it is totally within 400's rights where uh, who knows? I think one of the things that's been challenging for, for I think I suspect for a lot of us that are dot watching and trying to s sort this out ourselves, we have no tracking data for that period of the race, which is right. really unfortunate, right? Like we can't go back as far as I can tell. If someone's figured it out, let me know. But I've tried to go to my history and pull up the old tracking link. That doesn't seem to work. Um, I can't see what happened in those first 36 hours to really look closely at what they did. So, um, you know, I don't know if the race directors have that ability either. I, I, I hope they do, but I, I really don't know since they had to, you know, switch over their tracking platform. Um, so who knows? Like maybe they come in and say, yeah, our picture doesn't have a windmill in it. But if you actually go out and check, like we just took it from another direction because we were tired and it was the middle of the night. And, you know, so, yeah, it doesn't look like anything, but we actually were there. Uh, who knows? But yeah, let's so assume I, they're out. Yeah, go well, ahead, Jason. Hold on, Brent. Um, so actually, you know, we have a... We have a so Jason's having a Jason, oh. I mean, you're having a tough signal right now with your Wi-Fi, just so you're breaking out a little bit. You might want to go off camera, uh, Jason. Crew here following and going. Oh, oh, okay. I'll go off camera. Um, yeah. Let me see if that helps. Am I better? Okay. Um, Corinne, who has uh, been watching very closely, did confirm that during the old tracking, she she actually posted some stuff to our group saying it looks like the French missed CP26. And so clearly there was tracking data. She talked about it for two days and she just wrote me now saying that they even heard them saying that they did not find the CP on an ARWS video or on a live feed video and that they were trying to find it. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's little bits of confirmation that there was a struggle there. Um, so, you know, I don't know anything else, but, but the, the, my team that's kind of watching it, it did remark on that days and days ago that, yeah there was a potential that they had missed the CP. I want to point out one of our, a question that just came across. So I'm doing some research here. Folks, I'm on between two screens here. Someone asked over on the Facebook chat, why did team Tiki Tor turn around? If you look at, if you look on, they are team number 14. They appear to have dropped down. They came pretty far down. They've gone, they've turned on, they've gone back up. They've gone reversed on the course back up the mountain. And I don't know why they, if anyone here knows why they do it, so be it. I don't understand that. That's they went pretty, back to the, they went back to the transition area. So they went they about did. 10K from the transition area and then okay. hung out there for about an hour and a half. We thought they were sleeping. And then they turned around and blazed back down oh, to, the, okay. to the transition area. I don't know why. If it's a broken bike, if it's a sick teammate, who knows? Maybe they're waiting for Fear Youth and they're going to form a super Kiwi team. That's, that's okay. my, my confident hope is that it's just going to be a Kiwi party to the finish line with Chris Ford gotcha. leading the way. But, you know. So they were pretty okay. So they, they were 10k further down the course, they went back up to the area. Okay, okay, uh, to the CP, transition. Yeah. So yeah, they're back at transition now. Okay, I mean, this is okay. why Brent is like amazed because it's 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 crazy. Like, I'm used to watching world championships, waiting for Avaya to make their break, and then saying, Okay, let's see what happens in the rest of the field. And now we're not seeing that. Like, it's been so fun. And, and like hair pulling, you know, I'm rooting for Ben racing and they're falling apart. Clearly something is going on within that team and a, a number of other teams that are now getting lost in the top 10. It's anybody's game. And, you know, it's easy to sit here drinking coffee and, and getting good night's sleep and like right. wondering what the heck they're doing, yeah. but what are they doing out there? Is, it's just a really long race. And I think it's, it's a little bit more physical. 
less navigation, um, and it's just beating beating some of the best teams in the world up. Gotcha, gotcha. And of course, Fear Youth, right? Still dancing around the top ten. Yep. Right. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Seventy. And- total total of seventy six years old. The, the 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 four of them. Right. But we'll see. Right. But what were you gonna say, Brent? Well, yeah. I mean, I was just gonna echo what Jason was just saying. You know, you watch a normal ARWC, and you know, Jason was saying this. 24, 48 hours ago, absolutely rightfully so, um, as we were rooting for Ben to make a move up into that top five, that someone was going to blow up because someone always blows up. But normally, right, Avaya finishes off the race and you've got the next 10 elite teams of the world and maybe one or two of them will kind of blow up or do something silly. It feels like everyone has done that, right? Um, you know, really with the exception of Vita Raid um, and uh, Brazil, but everyone else has had these massive struggles. And even like a Tiki Tour, who you could argue, I mean, I, I said this online earlier today, I, I think Tiki Tour in some ways has had the best race of anybody once they kind of got themselves moving as a three-person team. Now, all of a sudden, something's up with them. So who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look at um, and, and there's a fear Estonia. Get, yeah. Go ahead, Steph. Yeah, I was just going to say, we talked, we've talked about the navigation and I've seen some talk on Facebook about the navigation, not being very technical. And someone even mentioned like, <laughs> Which, by the way, Stephanie, the Stephanie, I apologize. Route. Stephanie, real quickly, Stephanie, that is the most Facebook comment ever that somebody sitting at home is like, you know, something, it looks kind of easy. I just want to say again, Stephanie, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt. I just want to you yeah, know, say that I that's say absurd. That when I looked at the maps for uh, U.S. <laughs> Nationals this year, just looking at the maps, I was like, yeah, this looks kind of straightforward. But, right. you know, it's yeah. a whole different ballgame when you get on the ground. Anyone who raced Nationals will appreciate that comment. But I, I have been impressed with the amount of different routes taken by the mm-hmm. top teams on these trekking legs. And then on the bike leg, right, Estonia has been in this race in the top three this entire race and look at what happened to them cp 64 to 65 that's a Mm -hmm. bike cp their bike route from cp 64 to 65 their split for that leg was 10 for that you know between those two points 10 hours and 21 minutes again Mm -hmm. undoubtedly that includes a sleep if you look at their times at their last several cps and tas before that they clearly had not slept so that includes a sleep but compare that to the times between 64 and 65, Sapit had four hours and 40 minutes, 400 had five hours and 10 minutes, Vita Raid had five and a half hours. So four and a half to five and a half hours for the what are now the top few teams, Estonia had 10 hours and 21 minutes. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a route choice issue, right? And, and, yeah. to, and if you, those who listen to the, the, the pre-race briefing given by Stefan on the Dark Zone, he talked about CP65 as being hard to find. And when I asked him why, he says, because it's hard to find. So, yeah, so exactly that, that clearly yeah. something he knew in advance that, that was going to be a tough CP for them to come yeah. across right there. Anyway, there was a sleep built in there, but for the most part, this is clearly teams are coming apart at the seams a little bit, which is it's fascinating. And to your point, Jason, usually by now it's like, oh, look, there's Avaya and everybody else behind them. And while Swedish Armed Forces is, is clearly in command, there's such a race behind them that's going on right yeah. there. Um, I want to push a bit towards into the other members of the of, of the field, right? Because it's easy for the for the top ten to kind of pull up all the energy. And and Brent, I want you to fact check me on this. Um, I, I I've gone into the tracker and I'm looking at the mixed teams of four who are still on the tracker as being full course teams still. And I, I have team visit visit Penticton, who we just love, right? Natalie Long is with them, great racers. They just appear to be having a heck of a time. They are at the at the at the tail end, Lantern Rouge. And am I, am I reading that wrong? Am I, is the I, tracker throwing me off? So I, I believe so. Um, okay. I have not. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yes. So actually, I was uh, messaging via Facebook conversations with Natalie overnight last night, going back to yesterday evening. Their tracker crapped out um, a, a, a long while ago. Good. Okay, um, good. And, and, you know, she had been confirming with me that they are uh, on the bike ride. And that was at the beginning of today. So I don't know where they are now. Um, gotcha. Okay. You know, I think a few teams uh, we've seen their trackers start to. Uh, I don't know if they're running out of juice or what. Um, but and and that's typical, right? For people that um, don't know adventure racing or are new to this sport, um, it is not unusual, especially in a seven-day race, for trackers to run out of batteries or a few of them go bad. With this many trackers, just law of averages, uh, a few of them are going to turn off. 
Um, you do your, the best you can as a race director to get them going again. Um, but I know that this course um, is so logistically challenging. I, when we're laughing about armchair dot watching, um, if you think that people are judging uh, uh, the racers and the navigation erroneously from home, just you have no idea what this race staff is dealing with right now. Uh, a field of 100 plus teams stretched out over what they're stretched out over. I mean, they're in like winter weather in one place and like summer desert, you know, Armageddon type weather elsewhere. Um, you know, Heidi talked to Jason and I, uh, Jason and me earlier uh, before the race started about their logistics. And it's just mind boggling, not to mention um, rolling blackouts throughout the country of South Africa, which can literally make it impossible to communicate ac uh, across the course sometimes for days um and teams are struggling like i know they're having to help teams out that uh have kind of gotten themselves into a position where they need some assistance so there's so much going on out there yeah it's, it's almost i almost struggle with the idea of the conversation tonight because it's like it's drinking from a fire hose like there's yeah. so many stories going on so many things happening the front of the race is pulling our attention Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that, that visit visit Penticton is, is not having that hard time. Glad to, glad to clarify that for the audience out there. Um, Jason, what else are you seeing out there? You look like you're ready to say something. Yeah, just, you know, for, for those that are following, you know, one of the challenges. You're breaking up again there, Jason. Of any expedition is. But the, the leaderboard, there's a bunch of teams that look like they were transported. From, right. Um, uh, the TA before the final trek to the paddle. You know, Jason, what's wild and is you had, be you had better signal when you were in the woods. Uh, J Jason, we need you to go camping again. You had better signal out there okay, in the woods. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll sort this out. I'll be back. <laughs> okay, thanks. What was I think that? Jason was saying um, that, uh, and, and he's right, you know, there were a whole bunch of teams at T3 which was yes. the end of the big trek uh, before they trekked again down to the water. Right. And uh, they did move a whole bunch of teams forward, including uh, at least two or three American, uh, North American teams, I think two of them. Um, but they haven't updated those bubbles, right? So like right. we will survive, for example, um, bypassed most of the paddle. Uh, I saw Liz, uh, Liz Fokker, who's, um, um, partners with Michelle, who's on We Will Survive. And um, she noted that I think they paddled the last 10K. So it sounds like they put them in at the bridge and they paddled in. Um, but they, they should be some kind of color code that frankly should be different than all the purple ones because the purple ones missed the big trek. Um, Michelle and a number of other teams finished the big trek, but they missed something after. So. And I think that's a challenging thing for folks who are home in there. And, you know, with 109 teams, there's a lot of family members at home who are watching this, folks who are new to the sport watching this. It's it's very challenging in the deeper parts of a race to see what, what's going on, right? Like, to your point, Penticton's, uh, their their tracker falls apart. Other teams were brought ahead to the, they were transported from T2 to T3, that they're all over the place. And so I think it's definitely one of these things where we have to sit back and watch for the final standings to come through and enjoy the show along the way take the adventure racing world series information what we're getting from other teams and bring all that all that together steph what are you thinking right now yeah well i just noticed someone was talking about trackers that aren't working or pinging someone asked about um team ozarks and as i look at ozarks dot my assumption is that their tracker is working fine but that they are they're caught in the dark zone right now that they're sitting on the side of the river because they started the paddle before the dark zone and then they won't be able to come out of that again until 5 a.m. there. I agree with that. And they're six hours ahead of us and it's 7.30 East Coast time right now, right? So if I do the quick math in my head, it's it's one o'clock in the morning. So they have some time. Yeah. So this is a long, I mean, the course is open for eight, nine days for a reason, right? I mean, it, it, it doesn't end when the, when, the, when the winter comes across, you know, in several hours and Swedish Armed Forces sort of not making it is going to be there. Um, and it's, and as, as a result of that, what we're going to find is the, uh, is all these other teams are coming down behind them. I see that. Yeah. So Jeff, I noticed that in our, our production here, Jeff is making comments. I cannot see the, the, uh, zoom chat, Jeff, by the way. So you might want to, if you want to send that directly to someone who's there, Brent. Just, just real quick. Sorry. I was fixing something and apologize for the printer making noise behind me. Um, 
I, I'm pretty sure Ozark is biking. Um, Ozark's another team where if you look at their tracker, um, no, they haven't updated in a long time, but the last time they pinged was 10.30. They're, the trackers are updated with military time. So 10.30 a.m. local time. Um, and so I am fairly confident their tracker simply stopped working. Um, it's about three hours ago. Are, it's three hours. What's that? I think it's three hours ago, last time they pinged. I'm doing uh, the math. No, 10.29 South African time. This is South African time. When they switched yeah. over to Open Adventure, it's South African. Okay. So this was 4.30 a.m. our time. So I think they got off the water and they are biking. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. got it. Good point. But it's super, like, that's one of the tough things with this many teams to dot watch. Like, you know, I made that mistake yesterday with Penticton and Natalie um, pointed that out to me. It's just, it's really easy to miss those kinds of details and you think someone stopped or something's wrong, et cetera. So. Basically, all the teams are going to crawl, they're going to crawl across the finish line within the next four or five days or so. Tracker's not working, tracker's <laughs> working. They, they will look like, they will look like different people when they finish, right? It's, it reminds me of the, the old joke about how when they, when they went across America, there was a brand new set of people when they got to California because it took so long. There'll be brand new adventure races when they finally get finally get to Brian, the finish line. Brian, one more just one more note I wanted to hit on going back earlier to the the question about you know the nav not, not looking too hard. Um, you know, I think it's it's often in a race like this. I was trying to explain to somebody on Facebook yesterday and then realized my for some reason my comment was not approved. I don't understand what happened. Um, I swear I wasn't using bad language. Um, but, um, in an expedition race, first of all, compared to shorter races, the nav does not tend to be as kind of micro challenging, right? It's more about big picture nav and, you know, route choice, um, and such. Um, but like what is sometimes impossible to actually see on a tracker is those 10 to 15 minute bobbles, right? Um, like I've watched uh, some of the best navigators in North America run a five day race. From my perspective, it looks like they've run it perfectly i've talked to them afterward and they say oh yeah like we lost 12 hours on nav mistakes because you just add up a whole bunch of those that doesn't really show on the tracker but it but it tracks i, I having done stefan's races before i guarantee the nav was much harder than it looked gotcha it looks like uh, swedish armed forces by the way has made it off the sand dunes if i'm reading the tracker correctly looks like they punched 71 and they're back going east yeah yeah it looks like it so, Jason, do you have any um, intel at all from the course on what's going on with Bend? Because, yeah, it looks like they've certainly had some unexpectedly long um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, like, I think that, that they are in the same boat as, you know, essentially Estonia and, um, you know, the French and, and these teams, Absolute Raid and, and Merrill, who are all up there and spent so much of the time feeling really solid the the one thing that i think is is very interesting is the mental and the motivational aspect so one of the things that's been great about vita raids race and brazil's race is they not really screwed up but they had a tough start for some reason they didn't make the dark zone which is where they wanted to be so they had they were forced to have this huge sleep and then they have this super motivation and they have the speed and they push, and then they keep getting doses of motivation. It's like a video game. Every time you pass the team, right? right? You're like, we're doing great. You get this huge motivation. And then you get a team like Bend, Maryland, Absolute Raid, who all made the dark zone, feel like they should have an eight-hour gap. And then they sleep and start to get a little complacent because they're shot because they tried to make the dark zone. That, And then when, it, when they get passed, like mentally, it doesn't matter who you are, somebody on your team takes a blow there. And at this point in the race, every little mental blow lessens your ability to, to push hard and push fast. And it's no discredit to them, but it is just a reality. We've seen it happen with Estonia, basically every world championship for the last three years, right? They get to a point and then they were leading the Swedes for a while back and forth. And then the Swedes pass them, get out of the TA, and then they just really struggle. Sleep deprivation, motivation. Um, so I think, you know, I think we're seeing also you know, Vita Raid, like hopefully, you know, for Vita Raid, it's going to be important that they actually catch up and pass somebody else because they're also playing that sleep deprivation window pretty heavily, um, you know, and, and so it's really cool uh, to see the French who are just out there in fourth place. It was absolute raid, right? 
and how they just stopped in the heat of the day for seven hours um, because, you know, they have no idea how close these teams are coming up behind them. Um, so, yeah, I think I think a bit of that. Bend is having a tough time. Um, I do know that they're hurting quite a bit. I don't know who on the team, but the one thing that we know you know, we've already had internal team discussions about how the transitions, the transition, their transitions have been quite slow. Um, and whether that's dealing with foot issues, dealing with, uh, you know, mental or, or just sheer exhaustion, we'll find out after the race. But I'm just, you know, I'm rooting for them to have some, some semblance of a good race. Uh, at the end, it seems like all four of those teams that are potentially in fifth place are sitting there in the TA, as far as we know, together. Maybe they're just all going to cross the finish line together, race the last 24 hours together. I, I'm in a positive mood. I just want happy endings for everybody at this point. Yeah. Well, right. Well, I mean, it, go ahead, guys, Steph. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's interesting. You talk about um, Vitaraid with the sleep deprivation. But, of course, the next variable we've got is that Vitaraid and Brazil Multisport are both going to get another rest in that last transition area when they serve out their penalty. So Vitaraid's going to have a 40-minute enforced penalty there in Brazil multi-sport two hours and by my reckoning assuming that everyone stays roughly on pace with where they are currently they both have a sufficient lead over the next team behind them that that penalty is not going to uh, change the finish at all so they're going to be sitting there completely stressed out I don't know will will they have a tracker up in the TA Jason so that they can see that this is an inconsequential or are they going to be sitting there stressed out, wondering where the next team is coming up? Yeah, they'll, they'll yeah, be sitting yeah, you're there not, stressed you're not gonna, out. Yeah, you don't, you don't know who's coming down behind you when you're serving out your penalty. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I but, so, world whether they would let them know that or not, because that's how stressful is that going to be, sitting there for 40 minutes or two hours not knowing who's coming up behind you? Yep, and for those of you that are, I know Brent probably just saw this, guess where Brazil Multisport is going? Come on. They're following Estonia's route yeah. on the bike. Oh. Yeah. They Jason are going had... off on yep. Estonia's route. So it, the nice thing is that will actually tell us if it was a horrible route or if Estonia was just totally shattered and they fell apart. Because, I mean, if Brazil does that in the same amount of time it took the, you know, the Swedes to, to, or Viterate to move around the other side, like maybe it's not that bad of a route choice. So it'll be interesting. It'll at least give us some more information to analyze. And what I'll do there, Jason, is for the folks who are home right now who are, who are wondering what we're talking about, specifically speaking, if you go to the tracker, a CP64, that when teams go from 64 to 65, we know that 65 is a challenging route. Teams have taken two routes down the mountain, right? There's a mountain, there's a route to the east, which kind of is outlined in orange, right, on the tracker that, that's put up by James Thurlow in Open Tracking. And then to the west is, if you look right now, you see number 10, which is Brazil Multisport. They're following what we'll call the Estonian route. We'll call it that route. They're a bit further <laughs> to the west. And now we're going to see which of those two routes plays better. So those are home right now who are dot watching. Go to your maps. Go find CP64. And just south of 64, you're going to see team number 10, Brazil Multisport. And over the next several hours, see how that unfolds for them. And if you want to make it interesting, you have the playback option that you could actually see how quickly it took teams to get from one section to another by looking at their mm -hmm. dots. I'm doing a little bit of a dot watching tutorial while we're doing this also, because we're so embedded in it that someone's sitting at home right now and we're like speaking a foreign language. So I've yeah. got two comments to make about that. First of all, now you understand how different mountain mountaineering climbing routes get named. This is the Estonia route. <laughs> Secondly, so I compared what they had on their race maps to what we see on the tracker. Um, just mm -hmm. to see what would have compelled them to take Estonia to take that route. Interestingly, on the race maps, the route that Estonia took appears to be more on what we would assume to be more improved roads. Like they, they look like more substantial roads that Estonia took, which made me wonder why in the world teams would think to take the route that Swedish Armed Forces took, you know, the, the assumed route or preferred route. Um, seems to have yeah, a lot of trail on it. I, I can imagine two things. I looked very closely at the maps and the satellite images too. The the marked route definitely has less elevation gain. It does so much more contouring, which is why it looks very, very wiggly. Um, the other route, if you look at it, you know, it's it's kind of hard to tell on the, on the 1 to 50,000 map, but it does a lot more up and down. 
Um, it's just clearly taking more lines. And on the ground, it looks like the, the main route does curve off to the east. Like, you know, when you look at the Google satellite views really close, it kind of looks like the main road. And sometimes that's the decisions you're making. You know, you're on this main road. You know that two routes go through. You can see the one that more people drive or that looks a little smoother. And so some of these top teams may have just decided, hey, we've had enough bad experience with, with crappy roads out here. Like, let's stay on the one that's moving the fastest. But yeah, it'll be interesting to hear because now we've got two of the top five teams that have taken one route and three of the top five teams that have taken what looks like the faster route. And so we get to, we get to see what happens with Bend and Tiki and, you know, Merrill and Absolute Raid all behind, like what's going to be the most popular route at the end of the day, a hundred more, a hundred more chances for people to, to, <laughs> to give us data. I want to, I want to call out Jeff O'Connor right now doing a fantastic job with the telestrator and the highlighting. So Jeff, good job in the back behind the scenes are doing that. Go ahead, Brent. So I, I have my own little theory about this this nav, and I and I honestly, this is the first time I've looked at the race maps myself. I just pulled them up, and you know, it's a long enough section between CPs also that I really I, I need to look at it more fully than I've looked at it. But looking at the route out of CP sixty four, right, that Estonia took, kind of heading south. When I look at it, I actually feel like they made a, a, a mistake. Uh, because Steph, to your point where you said the, the, you know, it looks like there's better routes. Um, I see a road way down South that clearly is improved. I don't see that, uh, up near the CP at all. I do see a number of lines that upon quick glance might be inferred to be roads, but I suspect are not, and I don't know. But I see things that look like they may be fence lines or boundary lines instead of tracks. And if that's what they are, I think a team could make a mistake, especially if they're tired, by heading south thinking they're going to get better roads. What I see is uh, dashed tracks for a long way south and then swinging a fair ways back west. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think you're better off continuing east upon the, the mapped route. You do get stretches of better roads once you kind of break out down south, but even then, it looks like you have to kind of go back onto these, you know, who knows what grade tracks these are to connect to villages, um, which could be a nightmare as well in terms of the navigation. So uh, I suspect maybe Estonia looked at the map and thought it looked like better travel than it actually, I think, looks from here on good nights of sleep. So from a from a, a yeah. perspective, there's a multi-sport, but they have a pretty good cushion from the teams behind them. Am I correct? I'm trying to see whether who's right who's coming down behind them. So even if even if it doesn't work out in their favor, they have a they have a, a very, very large gap, right? To the team behind them. So so if the Estonian route doesn't serve them well, it's not like someone's gonna pass them on the more traditional route. Right? Who well, knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. to me I look at what's on that map down south where Estonia went and I feel like a lot can go wrong down there. I mean it clearly did for Estonia, but I mm -hmm. I'm not sure that it couldn't even go worse at night. Gotcha. So, and all the teams that yeah. are chasing for the multi sport are still in the TA. Yeah. Right. Team seventy seven. I love it. So yeah. and remember Brazil has a two hour penalty that they have to serve. So yeah. their cushion is two hours less than it would be if they didn't have a penalty. Gotcha. And they're taking a route which we're speculating might be a little bit longer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, or a lot longer. Yeah. yeah, a lot longer, right? Yeah. The director said I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get any sleep tonight either. One of these. One of these nights. No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But the, but the thing is, for those of us who are on the the uh, you know we're all over the all over the world here right now. But a lot of us are going to wake up in the morning and have a new adventure racing world champion. Right? There's a good shot that it's going to happen tonight. Yeah. You know? And then behind it, and and for the folks at home, don't let the energy go out. Of, don't let the air go out of the balloon. A lot of teams are still out there out there swinging away you know and and you have to wonder sometimes you have to give credit to you know the the pointy end of the race gets grabs all of our attention right we always talk about the leaders of the race but let's just spend a moment just kind of waxing poetic about the teams that are out there the mid-pack and, and back of the pack teams i mean we have we have chip dodd out there with team with team disability but if i'm correct it's still a full course north american team right out there yeah yeah i mean they will be out there for days and 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 we're mentioning them because we know them, right? And they are surrounded by tons of teams who we don't know as well are in the same exact boat as them, right? People who are out there who are just 
you know, getting through, sleeping through, sleeping on the sides of rivers. And then they're going through these villages. And they're doing, all, and they're going to be out there for, I mean, the race is going to end most likely Tuesday, early morning-ish, East Coast time America, right? It's going to end a little bit later down there, later in the morning. But there are teams out there until Thursday and Friday that are still going to, that they're working on getting themselves home. And that is just an impressive sport. And, and for those who are new to adventure racing, these are citizen racers. These are people who like return back to their, their accountants, their dentists, their teachers, their school superintendents. They're all those different things where they go back into their lives after doing this, which is, it's an amazing sport in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I, I am really excited to see uh, this ability if they can pull it out. I know I talked to them some and they were really excited to maybe be the Lantern Rouge, which is the, like the final full course team. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can't be at the back of the pack at this point and still expect to finish. Like, and so they're, they're well in the middle, which is great. So I right. think that they might end up top 40. Cause I, I highly expect that there will not be 40 full course teams. Um, that there will be less than 40 full course teams because it's, it's a pretty daunting, daunting time. If you're thinking about racing for, how, does anybody know, Brent, do you know when the course actually closes? Like what hour, like we're at 110 hours right now, no winner yet. Does the course go for 200 hours, 220 hours? What's the official cutoff? It was, I'm gonna okay. So let's do some guessing right now. Is eight days, right? It might be in the race. Book. I thought it. I, yeah. I thought 160 it was nine, days. nine days. I think it's nine days. Yeah, I think it is nine days. Nine days. Here we go. It's incredible. Um. Nine days. Jeff O'Connor weighing in from from behind the scenes. Nine days. Nine it's, days. It's, so how many hours? Like, is it 11 to 11, nine days kind of thing? It's, it's 200, it's 216 hours, right? Oh, Jesus. Right. Wow. Phone down. So, so there, and we know that there's some cutoffs coming up, right? So there's, there's like, I, I think that what's going to break teams, if I was racing in the middle of the pack or the back of the pack, what would break me is finishing this massive bike ride getting there after 1 p.m. on Wednesday, because right. that is the cutoff, after which 1 p.m. on Wednesday, you have to get right back on your bike and yeah. bike another 160 kilometers to the final track. And if you're too slow on that, you have to bike all the way to the finish line. Um, so you might as well be doing like Race Across America, where you just bike across <laughs> America on your bike the whole time, um, except the roads are a lot better here. So you know, I just imagine that teams that do not make that cutoff might, you know, might lose the will. I, I'm going to be really impressed with teams that actually, that, that will, that will undoubtedly be the longest bike ride in adventure racing history. That's a good point. Like the teams I, that complete 400 kilometers of biking. That's, it's and, roughly 36 hours away. That cutoff. If I'm, yeah. If my math, that my quick math is correct. 36 hours yeah. till then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Crazy, and that, and and they have to. And for those at home, if I'm correct, and and the map right now is looking upside down to me. That's that's the transition seven, correct? By one o'clock, on, am I right about that? That's T seven. They have to depart. Depart, yes, and, it, to de- and Jeff and Jeff's doing math. By the way, that total distance is three hundred and eighty kilometers. Three hundred and eighty kilometers on dirt Oof. and rough roads. Woof! This round, I mean, I just got the chills. Yeah. And. And the top, you know, the top teams are talking about how hard the biking is. Like the Swedes are coming and saying, and, and I, I heard an interview with Dan and he's like, man, everything is sore. The, the riding is really, really rough. Um, and 236 I mean, honestly, miles, by the way, for those, for those of you yeah. who are, need, need the help, 236 miles. Wow. Yeah. And, and if they, if they choose the Estonia route, it might even be a little longer and a little more walking. So, <laughs> right. right? Oh, this is crazy. I, I, my, I would just throw my bike in the ocean. I saw go, a video before Worlds that showed Heidi biking on some very nice looking dirt roads. So I find it hard to believe it could be as bad as you claim. It looked delightful and inviting. I almost registered. <laughs> delightful and inviting. Right. That, that was that was trying to get people to register. They were showing the nice roads then. That was all that was all in promotion. After that, they bring the real stuff out. Okay, and, and I'm gonna send something to uh AR Insider, because I just got somebody sent me a link to the video um, with the French talking live, or used to be live, about the missing CP. Um, mm. So who should I send that to? AR Live? No. Uh, uh, what, what's your 
Adventure Racing Insider. Sorry, I'll just do this in the background. So do we have any intel on Fear Youth? You're also on, okay. you're, you're also on, you're also on a Gmail chat that we're all on together, a Gmail thread. Um, okay, all right, I'll figure it out. Do we have any intel at all on Fear Youth other than just the note that we all saw ARWS posted on Facebook about how the referee was going to speak with them about a possible mispunched point? Um, updates on that? Yeah, I've talked a little bit. I don't know any details or what that would look like if it's a potential like uh, situation like Team 400 where they don't get credit or if they like punch it in the wrong spot of their passport. Um, but I do know that they also received a warning as well, um, which I think is a, a good thing for them for uh, being uh, for, for my twin brother being a little bit uh, vocally coaching. I mean, he's there to cover their media. He's also a very, very experienced racer and they are doing tremendous. But I know coming in from talking to him, they're coming in shattered and like their first gut instinct because all they've done is supported races is like he's there. His son is there doing media as well, who's a drone photographer. And they're like handing those guys stuff saying, hey, fill my water bottle. Like, get me this. And and Andy's like, dude, I can't touch anything. Right. Because right? um, they're used to that. Um, and I think, you know, there have been a couple of things where they're like, what? what? You muted yourself, Jason. There you go. And your phone, and you're getting a text message too. Well, you know, I've, I've had a chance to, to interview um, Sphere Youth a couple of times, and I saw Finn at, at, at Faro's, and I guarantee they'll cross the finish line and be like, yeah, that was kind of hard. That's just the way that they are. That's the way they operate. Brent, I see your hand is up. So there's a, you know, like just to talk, go back to the wild scenarios that could unfold here. Um, you know, we haven't talked about the tracking map in 10 minutes, and in those 10 minutes, Swedish Armed Forces kind of started moving east and now they're back west still doesn't look like they have cp 71 if you zoom in and look at their tracker and um team 400 is getting real close to the ta uh, that's incredible i totally thought sapphet had it look uh, at how yeah, close it, they were yeah and if you zoom in though it doesn't look like it looks like maybe they didn't <laughs> so i'm yeah. wondering if they kind of went east to try to relocate or something and decided to go back west and and again we're just going to assume 400 is out and that they know they're out but what if they're not what if they like have a legitimate protest jason i hear you it sounds like there is enough evidence that that's probably not what's going to happen here but still kind of just a wild finish potentially and brewing and keep in mind too that that's that that Safet won't know about any of that if they come across each other on the course no they wouldn't um Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Staff that must be, uh, you know, I, I, there was there was video of them coming into the TA and, and getting close to the TA and talking about how slow they were biking and that they saw Estonia like right behind them when they were leaving the TA. And then they, you know, saw sleep monsters like they basically saw lights behind them or imagine they saw lights behind them. Um, much of that bike ride. So they were looking over their shoulder and are still probably looking over their shoulder, especially, you know, they did that TA in an hour and 10 minutes. So they know they have an hour and 10 minutes lead, but they've spent at least an hour and 10 minutes looking for the CP in the dunes. So we all know that they're safe, but there must be some emotions going on, you know, this, this far out for them. And, and T9, for those at home, T9 is, if I'm correct, that's where they sit out their penalty, correct? They actually sit in the, there's a, actually a box that they yeah. sit in that they have to, they have to wait. And, and they, if I'm correct, is that they, they cannot access their gear until after the penalty is over or that they have to get, they get there to get themselves ready. Then they have to sit in the box for the time. What's the, do you guys remember that? What's the order of operations when you take a penalty? Are you able to sort yourself out and then you wait? It, it really, I mean, it, different race directors handle it differently. Um, I think I personally feel like the way you really need to do it is teams have to transition fully um, and then sit it out. Like, I, I, if teams have access to all of their gear, um, you know, it, it kind of gives them the ability to eat more, to use their sleeping gear or whatever. 
um, part of the idea of the penalty is they're not supposed to get that added um, kind of benefit. So you so need to have so, them so either they, do it before or after they transition. Right. So they, they yeah. come in, they, they, they sort themselves, and then they leave the transition, which means they just go wait in the penalty box. Got right. It. Okay. So if they want to bring sleeping bags for like a two-hour comfy sleep, they can do that, but then they've got to carry all that with them when they carry on. Got it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's so hard. I've, I've, you know, for the last 36 hours, I've, I've thought that everything was sorted and then it's changed so many times that I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I went on record earlier saying like, Hey, the Swedes have won. It's their, you know, it's their race to lose. And, and I'm nervously just watching it's, you know, because we saw it, like we saw it a couple years ago or the last couple of years, we saw these top teams literally change places when Estonia led almost to the very end um, two years ago when the Swedes took the world championships, like mm -hmm. Estonia lost it very, very close to the end after a lot of people were calling it for them. Um, and they just fell apart and, and huddled and it was a dismal scene. Um, so. Well, here's a, one more potential mind bender thinking back to, so I think it was last year, Paraguay, right? It was last year mm -hmm. where um, mm -hmm. there was a, a, a Final trek, not dissimilar from this one. Uh, actually, a fair number more checkpoints, but in the grand scheme of things, relatively short. I think it was actually quite a bit shorter than this one, distance-wise. Um, you kind of looked at the map from afar, from our, you know, our our chairs and desks here, and it didn't look like anything crazy. Avaya gets there as you knew they would. They bang it out like four hours. Um, they also did it in the afternoon, into the evening, and I think the last couple points were in the dark, but. You know, they made it look relatively easy. And then, like, all the teams behind them, these top elite teams, were more like seven, eight, nine hours, just, like, struggling through this. If you think about where kind of that chase pack for fifth place is right now, like, they, they, they got to get biking. They're going to be biking all day, right? It's, like, 2 in the morning over there or something like that. Um, they're going to be biking all day tomorrow, and they're going to probably be hitting that final track in the dark and who knows what's going to happen <laughs> yeah okay so i just and, pulled up the weather i just pulled up ooh, the good. weather in cape st francis and uh the temperatures are amazing right now it's 63 degrees at 2 a.m that's fahrenheit um but the wind the wind is 30 miles an hour <laughs> with wind gusts of 42 miles an hour <laughs> and sand yeah and that's sand. crazy well when you look at the tracker one of the layers if you use the open topo layer it shows you all of the windmills <laughs> mm -hmm. along this whole southern edge yeah. of the uh country there's a reason they put all those windmills there it's the sleep monsters look like dragons to them want to call out a uh, facebook commenter wayne leak for letting us know that in expedition canada they completed a transition and then checked out and sat with no access to their bins. So that appears to be the what that will be happening at, at the penalty box in transition area nine. nine. Mm -hmm. so we're closing in on one hour. I want to be respectful and thoughtful of everybody's time here. Before we go to the final thoughts and comments, I do want to have, there are people who are new to adventure racing who are watching right now. Um, in a moment, we're going to go over to, to Jeff, who's going to show the 400 team video. But I do want you all to mention who you are and where you come from in terms of the, we all think we all know each other adventure racing, but Stephanie, starting with you, what's your race organization? Where are you located out of? What races do you help support? Yeah. So my race organization is flying squirrel adventures. And I now only put on one race per year, which is the unbridled women adventure race. And it's a very beginner friendly six hour women only adventure race um, outside of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, my primary role now is with the USARA and helping with nationals and uh, making that race happen each year. Goodness. Hey, Stephanie, thank you for being here. Brent, who are you? Where are you from? Yeah, my name is Brent Friedland, and I'm from uh, Philadelphia uh, here in Pennsylvania in the States. And uh, I am uh, a co-captain and co-founder of Rootstock Racing with my wife, uh, Abby. And uh, so, yeah, we race um, kind of all over here and uh, travel internationally when we can. We direct a bunch of races through Rootstock Racing. And, um, you know, one of those races is the Endless Mountains Adventure Race, which is one of the dozen or so uh, World Series qualifying events. 
Uh, and like Steph, I also work closely with uh, the United States Adventure Racing Association. Once I want to point out that Facebook yesterday reminded me that it was the seven-year anniversary, if I'm correct. Was the Stockville seven years ago? Was that the first rootstock race that was put on? It was not actually the first race, but it was, yeah, it was part of our first season lineup and a uh, last-minute edition, and that's coming up in a week and a half. So Very nice. Yep. Remember, fourth and fifth, great race. Jason, who are you? Where are you from? Uh, I'm Jason Magnus. I'm from Bend, Oregon, and I'm the captain and founder of Bend Racing. And I think my claim to fame is I'm now the slowest person on the team that I created. Um, so I'm still racing with them. They usually have to tow me through the first day, but I love it. And I'm also the race director for all the Bend Racing events, including uh, Expedition Oregon, which, like Brent's uh, awesome race, is on the World Series circuit. And, you know, I don't know that anything will be as challenging as Africa uh, for a while, but we are hosting Expedition Oregon in 2024, and we have an amazing race with lots of white water, lots of single track, a lot less brutal legs than are, we're seeing in Africa, but a little bit more navigation and, and such like that. So we're just really excited. And huge thanks to you, Brian, for really helping the sport grow, as well as both Stephanie and Brent, because I know USARA, I'm so thrilled with how well it's been going the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really great to be a part of all this. Thank you. In a moment, we're going to go to Jeff, but I just want to comment on that. For those of you who are, who are here in a kind of getting yourself used to the idea of adventure racing, the sport continues to grow both in the country and internationally. Under the leadership of Heidi Muller, we mentioned her name. She's the CEO of ARWS. She's done a great job building the series, uh, regional series around the world. Um, what's really nice we're seeing here, we're seeing big races coming on. You know, Obviously, Africa being the biggest we've seen so far, but five, seven, ten-day races uh, all around the world. And so the adventure racing is a sport is doing a great job uh, growing itself. And I, I will argue that the reason why it's growing so well is that everybody here loves the sport and is working together very, very well. Uh, we, we've managed to avoid things that have, have befallen other sports we've managed to avoid so far, so let's keep that up. Brent, before I go to Jeff, I saw your hand go up and down real quickly. Do you want to add something else? Oh, no, that was just kind of like a round of applause thanking uh, Jason for the kind words. Yes, very nice, very nice. Uh, and Jason, just real quickly, because the Endless Mountains is taking a break. Um, they're, they're taking a break uh, until 2025. I believe it's June 23rd, 2025 is Endless Mountains. But when is Oregon going to be? So Oregon uh, is going to be in September, September 6th to 14th. And it's actually Expedition Oregon and Washington. The course is so great that we had to include another state. Very um, nice. And there will be no snow. I know, you know, uh, a lot of teams have had a great experience. Uh, there's one of my favorite videos has Brent's wife, Abby, shivering um as they they had a great race in oregon it was probably one of the toughest um north american expedition races in a long time mostly because of weather and terrain uh, but we're really excited to bring that back and to have you know i want to get on and, and and tease it because we have such a great race with three paddling sections probably the best paddling and ropes race that we've seen in north america since since the old primal quest three rope yeah. sections huge scope Whitewater with guides where you're going over some of the, the most amazing whitewater in the Northwest um, and some pack rafting and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, we just want to get a bunch of international teams to, to really come explore it. So that's our hope. Excellent. Excellent. So, so Jeff is in my ear telling me that the, the video is going to be tough to show on this one right now. So we're not going to run the video through here, but the video is of, uh, of, of the of team 400 discussing the fact that there was a point that was missed and so clearly that's probably one of the conversation we're going to have that when they come across in second place but they'll get relegated because they missed a mandatory checkpoint stephanie i know that you're 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 deeply involved in the women of ar and you're deeply involved in the growth in the sport i'd like to give you the final word before we sign off tonight what do you see as the the horizon what do you see as the, the, the growth of the sport as we see it in america and around the world what is your gut telling you well, I really hope that women help uh, drive some better numbers in the sport. And part of my motivation in um, trying to get more women into the sport is I feel like that's one of the uh, keys to getting more kids in the sport. And so when I see teams like mm -hmm. Fear Youth out there and Team Lucky, which is an American team that has a 16-year-old, mm -hmm. I think he's the youngest in the race, um, that, that makes me really feel really encouraged. Obviously, we need a lot more of them but um that's really my hope is that the women of ar uh, group will get some more women racing and i think when you have parents race they get their kids to race and you know the sport doesn't have a future if we can't do that so excellent wonderful and it's a great great word to close on stephanie the fact is talk about the future for us for those of you at home 
Um, we are going to have uh, the Dark Zone. will be doing another episode going uh, after the race. We're going to interview uh, most likely the race winner. We're going to get that on the schedule when we can have a chance to do that. Um, I'm going to work with Jeff to see if we could actually do that through this platform. Um, while the, the, the podcast is quite popular, we can turn down the fact that the audio version of this is very, very strong. So we're going to pay attention to the dots ourselves. We're going to see where we are. And we hope to return in the future with the winners of the Adventure Racing World Championship and along the way, a lot of other teams. Yes, thank you for being here. Keep your emails close by. You know, like, when you get too far, we're probably going to talk. Oh, maybe we'll sneak in one more time before this race is completely over. Um, thanks for being everybody. At, you want to talk at midnight tonight? <laughs> yeah. How about in yeah, half no. an hour when Sabbath still hasn't exactly. found this point? <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Yeah, who knows? We'll definitely, we'll, let's, we're, we're hoping for that. Maybe we will be talking again, Brent. So stay tight. All right, folks. Now, Thank Brian, you, everybody. Everybody. Yes, Brian, sir. Go ahead, Jason. Go ahead. I just want to make sure that you get some sleep because I know you're also giving the, the keynote or the final address at the International Adventure Racing Conference. So I don't want you looking haggard. People are going to be watching you, and, and you are. Uh, big inspiring figure in our sport so you know so save a little bit of energy for that okay i just, I just have I'm, I'm just glad i'm glad i've been invited to take part jason thank you very much for those kind words all right folks thanks very much be safe out there we'll talk to you soon thank you adventure racers see you later all right bye-bye thank you for being here thank you to stephanie jason and brent and jeff for all that they did to make this episode happen this is flash episode number two Will there be a number three? Maybe, maybe not. But there will definitely be more interviews coming out of South Africa, finally Adventure Racing World Series Championships. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being listeners. You can see our full lineup at www.ardarkzone.com. Thanks and be safe.